Welcome to Base Liberty, your source for politics. The government is way too big, way too intrusive, we are overtaxed. History. The right to self-defense is a natural, God-given right. The founders clearly understood this. Economics. We can't just keep printing off money, we can't just keep borrowing money. If you think this path is sustainable, then I've got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. And more. From a liberty perspective. I've got to disagree with you there. The income tax is clearly immoral because it assumes you don't own the fruit of your labor, the government. With your host, Darren Wisely. Deregulation and decentralization are the answers if we're ever going to get this thing back on track. We need to look to families, churches, and charities, not the What's state. What's going on? Darren Wisely here for Base Liberty, episode number three. Thanks for tuning in. Today is Friday, August 14th, 2020, and I am so pumped about today's episode. It's really in my wheelhouse for what interests me. It's going to be a little history, a little political philosophy, and the best part is it ties in to a major current event that happened just yesterday. So if you like this kind of content, I am more than happy to provide more of these types of videos, and I'll know if you like it or not by how many views this video gets. Today we're talking about the neocons, who they are, what they're up to, and why they don't really conserve anything. Now the neocons vary widely on domestic policy, but they have one defining characteristic, and that is a very hawkish foreign policy. The neocons want to make the world safe for democracy, which could be a quote from Woodrow Wilson or George W. Bush, they all agree that America should be the world's policeman. So to understand the neocons, we have to delve into the history. And the neoconservative movement started after World War II during the Cold War, and it really grew momentum during the height of the Vietnam War, during the late 60s and early 70s. The neocons were liberal intellectuals, social democrats, and even moderate socialists who became disillusioned with the left and the Democratic Party after it became more and more radicalized and pushed farther and farther left. Neocons did not like the left's communist sympathies. It's opposition and protest of the Vietnam War and the countercultural movement. Neocons generally embraced social welfare policies. They supported FDR's New Deal, unlike those on the old right, the traditional conservatives and libertarians who oppose the New Deal. Neocons generally rejected the Great Society. Of course, there's some exceptions, but unlike those farther to the left of them who embraced LBJ's Great Society, the neocons, for the most part, did not and saw it as a bridge too far. Neocons vary on trade, generally more free market like the libertarians. However, they disagreed with Hayek on deficit spending and rejected a lot of his ideas in The Road to Serfdom on that. But many people who could be characterized as neoconservatives reject that title due to the negative connotation, and rightfully so, but Irving Kristol was one of the first to openly embrace the term, and he was a very prominent neoconservative voice. He started Encounter Magazine in the 1970s, and he published and edited in a variety of different outlets and really spearheaded the neoconservative movement. 
So the neoconservatives infiltrated the Republican Party and the conservative movement more broadly, and during the Reagan administration had a lot of prominent positions, and they took over a lot of the publications as well, such as National Review, and started to push the traditional conservatives out to where they were kind of marginalized, they didn't have a strong voice, and eventually the neoconservatives had the stronghold on the Republican Party, on the conservative movement, and really were the main voice in there. Now, once H.W. Bush became president and the Soviet Union fell, a lot of conservatives who were moderate kind of put up with the interventionist foreign policy because they saw the great Soviet threat, the threat of communism, but once that was no longer a real threat to us, said, okay, enough's enough, it's time to pull back a little. But obviously, once we had H.W. in there, it was very clear that wasn't the case, and the neocons were going to push this Wilsonian interventionist policy of spreading democracy abroad. Alarming to a lot of conservatives, and you really saw the paleo-conservative movement grew, especially in response to Bush's invasion of Iraq. The first Bush and the first invasion of Iraq I'm referring to. Pat Buchanan was the most prominent paleoconservative voice at the time. And what you had was a paleo alliance between the paleoconservatives, like Pat Buchanan, and the paleo-libertarians, such as Murray Rothbard, the great Austrian economist, and Lou Rockwell, founder and chairman of the Mises Institute. This paleo alliance was through the John Randolph Club, which was founded by traditional Catholic Thomas Fleming. The paleo-conservatives and paleo-libertarians backed Pat Buchanan for his 1992 presidential bid in which Murray Rothbard said they would break the chains of social democracy. Now, unfortunately, Pat Buchanan did not have a successful presidential bid and the Paleo Alliance fizzled out. The Paleo Libertarian side of it is the Paleocons didn't want to learn economics. Now fast forward to the second Bush's administration, and there you see the pinnacle of neoconservative influence in the Republican Party and American politics. Interesting thing is W campaigned on a more humble foreign policy after eight years of Bill Clinton, who got us into many different interventions worldwide. Of course, all this changed after the terrorist attacks of 9-11. And it's really interesting to see the long-lasting effect that these policies under the Bush administration will have on our society, and has had on our society, because the Zoomer generation has never seen a world where they can just go to the airport, get on a plane without being harassed by TSA, or where they don't live in a surveillance state. They haven't lived in a peacetime America, because we've been at perpetual war since 9-11. And even myself, being in fourth grade when 9-11 occurred, for the younger millennial generation, it's very hard to remember a peacetime America so the George W. Bush administration was surrounded by neocons, notably Vice President Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, and many others. And they pushed us into the Afghanistan war after 9-11, and in 2003, the invasion of Iraq, which 
the basis for was on very shaky grounds, and that's being a little bit gratuitous. After Bush's eight years in office, Barack Obama, who campaigned on being more anti-war, did not do that. He continued the Bush doctrine to some extent. He invaded Yemen and Libya and even droned U.S. citizens. So the neoliberals, such as the Obamas, the Clintons, kind of have a very similar Wilsonian view as the neoconservatives, and you kind of have this war party establishment, military-industrial complex between the two where they will come together to go to war. This incredible stronghold of neoconservatives on the conservative movement, notable examples again, the Bushes, the McCains, the Cheneys, Jonah Goldberg, Ben Shapiro, sorry Ben, Facts don't care about your feelings either. Makes the Trump phenomenon in 2016 so very interesting. Because outside a few exceptions, such as Ron Paul, you hear almost no voices up to that time in the Republican Party opposing this imperialist uh, forever war agenda. And Donald Trump comes in and says, look, we need an America first foreign policy. Going to war everywhere is not going to solve anything. And blood of our young men and women, it's spending money we don't have. And we're fighting everyone's wars for us. Meanwhile, look what's going on in our own country. Why not put our own problems first? And that was a very different message than Republicans are used to hearing. So it was kind of a shock that it resonated so well. And that's why the war party, neoconservative establishment, hated Trump so much. Because... Not only was he a threat to their imperialist agenda, but he was also a threat to their power structure that they had had on the Republican Party for so long. Trump had several other points that really resonated with paleoconservatives, and that is the strong borders for immigration, trade policies, on culture. He really was different than this kind of neoconservative invade everywhere, let everyone in, kowtow to the left, PC culture that had really infiltrated the Republican Party and conservatism more broadly. So Trump was just really something new, really a new phenomenon. What was really interesting is to a very small extent, the 2016 election brought some of the paleo-libertarians back into alliance that had occurred in the early 90s with Rothbard and Pat Buchanan. For instance, Lou Rockwell really was intrigued by Trump. He liked his strong immigration policy. Walter Block, the libertarian economist, actually defended Trump in a debate at the Soho Forum. It's a really interesting debate. I'll provide the link for it. He debated uh, Reason editor Nick Gillespie on if libertarians should vote for Trump in the 2016 election. So Donald Trump's winning the 2016 election was really a strong resurgence of the paleo-conservative movement. One of the most prominent paleo-conservative voices is Tucker Carlson, and really he's one of the very few mainstream media news anchors even worth listening to. So really I just want to hit again what the problem is with the neoconservatives for conservatism and I've I've touched on those points but I want to highlight them so 
historian who I'm a huge fan of and have a bunch of his books back here, Tom Woods, noted that traditionally conservatives sympathized with the Southern heritage and really looked up to intellectuals such as Richard Weaver and Russell Kirk, but the neocons really rejected all of that. He also notes the PC influence on neoconservatives, how it's not permissible to criticize affirmative action, the Civil Rights Movement, or Martin Luther King Jr. You also don't see neoconservatives talk at all about the some of the most prominent conservatives of the 20th century, such as Robert A. Taft, Douglas MacArthur, or even Barry Goldwater. The neocons really could care less about the Constitution, states' rights, federalism, and localism, and instead are more interested in using empirical data and central top-down planning, which it, obviously these are things that came from the left. Another example is in 1988, Russell Kirk gave a speech at the Heritage Foundation where he said, it almost seems like to neocons, Tel Aviv is the capital of the United States. A few years later, he gave that speech and made it a point how this had grown ever more prominent and that the traditional conservative voices were really being pushed out to the fringes and marginalized within the conservative movement. Conservative intellectual Paul Gottfried has also pointed out that the neocons want permanent revolution through war, and they have continuous rants that seem like a Dostoevskian novel. Gottfried was another example of a paleocon being pushed out of the conservative movement, and they banded together to him from getting a professorship at American Catholic University. The neocons really promote equality and democracy over localism, solving things at the community level, and individualism. And this, again, is another example of the left's influence on the neoconservative movement. So turning to what happened yesterday... Donald Trump brokered a peace agreement with Israel and the United Arab Emirates. This is the first time the two have been at peace in over 49 years. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said this is the first time Israel has had a peace agreement with any Middle Eastern country in over 25 years. He praised President Trump. This is a huge step for Israel and the Middle East. But this just goes to show you what having an outsider can do. The neoconservative influence has made the idea of peace almost out of sight and out of mind to people because we've been so used to perpetual war. And once again, it shows why they despise Trump so much, just like how he kicked neoconservative advisor John Bolton, got the boot, the thing is, it doesn't matter how many wars we go to, how many people we fight, there's never going to be complete peace. All evil is never going to be killed. Every wrong is not going to be righted. And, it, and both the neoconservatives and the left think that somehow government can right every wrong. It's clearly utopian. Having a humble foreign policy is exactly what the Founding Fathers said we should do. They advised us against foreign entanglements. If you read works of Jefferson, Madison, many others, it's very clear. President Trump understands an America-first foreign policy is what we need. It's not to say we don't need a strong military, but why not use our resources 
our men and women, why not keep them here, and why go around making everyone else mad at us when they don't want us in their own business. I'm really happy to see this peace brokered, and I hope for the safety of our republic, the United States continues this type of foreign policy. We are a republic, not an empire, and more people on both the left and right need to be reminded of that. So if you're a conservative, there's always that argument, who's a true conservative? Today you've been provided with a lot of material on some of the differences between the traditional conservative ideas and the neocons and their influence on the movement, which many mainstream or moderate conservatives kind of just take for granted. But if you look back at the history, a lot of these ideas are not conservative at all. I would like to see the Republican Party give more and more neocons the boot and go back to a traditional approach that was seen by the old right, such as Robert A. Taft. Hey, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you like what we're doing here, like this, share it with your friends. You can check us out on Spotify, on Anchor, on YouTube, and we'll be up more places very shortly. Take care.